my name is Jimmy Perez. Uh, served in U.S. Army from 1994 to 2002 as a multiple launch rocket system repair out of Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I'm Doug Kerr, uh, facilities manager here at the church, and uh, I spent 20 years in the Air Force. What Memorial Day means to me is remembering those that paid the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that you know we enjoy each and every day here. Well, there have been uh, three fellows that I've known personally, so three friends, two from high school, one from uh, college, who went to Vietnam. They were barely uh, in their 20s, but uh, they joined up, they went, they did what they felt they had to do, and now there are people we think about when Memorial Day rolls around. Um, there's a lot of men and women uh, of all branches that have given their life in many wars throughout our history, and many of them are not even buried at home, but they're buried in, in foreign uh, locations. So as we enjoy you know, Memorial Day, you know, I'd just like for us to think about that that someone's husband, someone's wife, brother, sister, didn't come home. Pretty sobering, right? When you think about the fact that they did that for us, they, they died for us so that we could experience the freedoms that we have as a country, and that's powerful. In fact, what I would like uh, to do today, uh, I have uh, several groups I'd like to have stand so that we could recognize them. First, I would like to recognize those who are active duty uh, or reserve or uh, first responders. Would you stand if you're in one of those categories uh, here this morning? Do we have any that is active duty that's uh, in, in the uh, first responders? I, I see Jeff over there, so I know that. Uh, thank you. Now I'd like for those who to stand who have uh, have served at some point in your life in one of those capacities, if you'll stand right where you are so we could recognize you. And then I would like for you to stand if you have lost somebody in either your immediate family or beyond your extended family, uh, maybe in a, a previous uh, war, uh, if you would stand today as people that uh, have lost someone. Uh, so would you stand? Uh, somebody who has lost family or... And then I would like for you to stand if you know someone that's a friend uh, or family, not just family, but a friend of yours that you know uh, or that, uh, uh, that you are at least acquainted with. They didn't necessarily be close, but somebody that you knew, would you stand uh, uh, if, you, if you knew someone? It may be. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, in June of 2017, Susan and I had the uh, opportunity, and, and I think we have a slide for this. Uh, in uh, June of 2017, we got a chance to visit this grave. Uh, this was, uh, we found ourselves walking down uh, Plot D, Row 13, Grave 56. And this was uh, in the uh, Ardennes American uh, Cemetery, National Cemetery in Belgium. It was on our bucket list to go see this particular grave. 
And uh, uh, it was a, a man that we never met. He was 23 when he died. Uh, he was, as you notice, first lieutenant, 330th Bomb Squadron, uh, uh, the 93, uh, 93rd, um, uh, I can't read it from here. Uh, yeah, we all can read it. So uh, <laughs> he was a bombardier. He was shot down by flak in World War II over Berlin. Uh, he was in a plane called the De-Icer. It was a heavy, uh, it was a, uh, a B-24 Liberator. And the interesting thing was, is even though I'd never met this man, I found myself getting emotional the closer we got to his grave. You see, this, this man was uh, my wife's uncle, her father's brother. And I'd heard her dad talk about his older brother. He was older by quite a bit. And so Susan's dad wasn't old enough to go to war, any, anywhere in World War II, but his brother was. And he died on his 25th mission. And if he would have survived that mission, he would have been sent home to his family, to his new wife that he had. And so I think about, on days such as this one, that particular person. And you think about how meaningful it is when you have a name attached. It's one thing to read all the statistics. But to have a place that you go because you, that, that life touched your family. It touched your life. It's powerful. They're the heroes in our lives. And, and in fact, it... Uh, uh, you feel the soberness of that place. When we were at that cemetery and we were the only ones there that day almost, there were very few others, and, and you feel the sense of what Howard Osterkamp, a Korean War veteran, said, all gave some, some gave all, a phrase that many of us know to this day. In fact, on the uh, chapel of the uh, Berlin uh, uh, Cemetery, it said, I mean, uh, Berlin, the one in Belgium, it says, to the silent host who endured all and gave all that mankind might live in freedom and in peace. And I enjoy the peace because of, and the freedom because of people like Leland Wazel. We all do. And so we think about that and we think, have we honored them sufficiently? We think about the ways that we honor these heroes of ours and we, we, we wave the flag. We put flags out and you see them all across people's property uh, where they've gone out. I saw somebody just yesterday buying a whole handful of flags that they were getting ready to put out in front of their property. And, it, and we do that and we, we have fireworks and we have parades and we have... Uh, uh, different things we do, go visit uh, a gravesite or, or all these things where we honor them. And, uh, and I think, is that sufficient honoring? In fact, I, I read a Facebook post recently where somebody was making a big deal of, this isn't a celebration, this is a time to remember. And I thought, well, isn't it really both? It's a time to, to remember for sure, but a time to celebrate what they accomplished. Would those people want us in our misery, in our mourning, to stay in those states, or would they want us to enjoy the reason why they fought and died? And so there, there is a sense of both. There is a sense in which we think we want to we live up to why they died for us and the freedoms that they were given, and I thought, is that even possible? Because, you know, I, I, I was thinking back to the, uh, to the movie Saving Private Ryan. 
And the, basically the plot of the movie is, is that uh, his three brothers were killed in battle. And, and uh, the higher-ups remembered a, a, somebody during the Civil War that lost five sons. Uh, and Abraham Lincoln wrote a letter to them. And so they said, we can't let that happen to this lady. we got to go find Ryan. we got to find Private Ryan and get him out of there and, get, and send him home. Well, the whole time Captain Miller's looking for this Private Ryan, he's thinking, what kind of man am I going to find? Am I going to find a coward? Am I going to find a hero? You know, what kind of man is this going to be? Is it going to be uh, a guy that is all too ready to leave or somebody that I can be proud of that we, we sacrifice people to save? And so he was wrestling with that issue. And then he found Private Ryan and he said, you got to come with me. Orders are, and he says, I can't leave my post. He says, this bridge is too important. we got to protect the bridge. And, and, and it was the kind of guy that Captain Miller was proud to save. And so I look at that. Hopefully I won't be this emotional through the whole message. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I look at that and I think here was this guy and they, had, they tried to save him. And, and in the process, Captain Miller trying to save Private Ryan is dying. He gets hit and he's dying and his last words were to Private Ryan is basically, make it worth it. Earn it. And so this whole life, Private Ryan has lived his whole life. And, he's, and at the end of the movie, you see this old man, Private Ryan, walking up to, and before he goes up to, to uh, Captain Miller's uh, cross, he just looks at his wife and he says, am I a good man? Have I lived a good life? I mean, here at the end of his life, he's struggling with that question still. Have I done enough? And the reality is we could never do enough, right? We're imperfect. That was one of the reasons why Jesus had to come and die. Because we can't do enough in this life. We can't do enough to to earn God's favor. It has to be given to us. And the same way with the freedoms that we share, we could never earn these freedoms that they gave their lives willingly for. All we can simply do is say thank you for dying so that I could experience freedom, so that I could experience all the things that this country has to offer. And so I, I, I was wrestling with that this week and I was thinking about the fact that even as I talk about these things, even as I talk about Leland Wassel's uh, life and death, there's a still sense of pain and emotion inside of me that still exists to this day. And I think he, he died in 1944. And yet still there's mourning and still there's, there's this, this that we have to deal with. And it's a, it's a corporate mourning. And that's why we set this day aside. It's a corporate remembering what they did for us. And, and, and we get emotional about it at times when we think about it, especially if you have somebody personally that's touched, been touched by that. And I think, how do we handle this loss? How do we handle this corporate mourning? And so I, I went to a passage In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. There's a simple verse that we're going to read. And we're going to talk about it. I think sometimes we we read a lot and we miss some of the details of a little. And so we're just going to look at a little today. We're going to look at one verse in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get a little context, but we want to look at this one verse. Matthew 5, 4. And I'm reading in the... uh, Uh, ESV. 
It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, when you first read it, you think, maybe, maybe not. Comforted in what sense? What is, this, what is Jesus really saying here, and why is he saying it? So we need to back up and get, get a little context. And the context is, he's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's on a hill, which the only real hill on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee is the one that they has built a chapel to uh, honoring the Mount of Beatitudes. I've been there. I've been at the place and read this sermon in that location. you got to come with me in 2021 when we go because uh, you'll be able to stand there as well. There's, there's just something very meaningful about reading the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus preached it. And so you, you look at, you see the, the, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee and you, you see the, uh, the slope that, that goes down and it's not a high hill, but it's, it's enough. And, I, and, I, and you think about the fact that Jesus would go to a lonely spot and pray when he was living in Capernaum, which that became his base of operations for three and a half years. And, and I thought, he probably came here a lot. And he happened to be here, and these crowds were following him. In fact, that's what we see uh, at the uh, beginning of the chapter. In chapter verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. So he sees the crowds coming. He goes up on this mountain. It would have been a good place for him to sit and teach. The water uh, serves as a good acoustic backdrop for this and, and amplifies your voice. And so the water would have been a good place for it. The side of the hill would have been a good place for it. And he begins, it says, he opened his mouth and taught, saying, verse 2. And then you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine blesseds. Each verse, all the way to verse 11. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who seek for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, peacemakers, the persecuted, when, you revile, when others revile you. And he, and he says, you're blessed. And you think, wait a minute, the word blessed means happy. It means fortunate. So how can you be fortunate when you mourn? How can you be fortunate whenever you see yourself poor in spirit? And you think, wait a minute, this seems like a contradiction in, in terms. Why is he saying that this is the blessed life. The blessed life is this life that we're going to be living in the kingdom someday. When we're with the Lord, we're going to be living this kind of lifestyle. Why is that? That you can connect blessed to this idea of mourning. And so we need to unpack it a little bit and understand what, what is he referring to? What is he making reference to in this regard? He's... he's uh, answering a question that probably was on the minds of people because he's saying in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 23, he went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. What was he teaching? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So he's proclaiming the gospel. That salvation is by faith in him. That's what he's been saying all along. That's what he says throughout the gospels is faith in Jesus which is what's going to gain somebody eternal life. And then we be, uh, that person begins to live this kind of lifestyle that you're even blessed when you're, mourn, when you're mourning. And so the question is, is, well, what kind of mourning is this? Why are they mourning? John Chrysostom, who was uh, uh, a uh, 
what are called one of the patristic fathers. He was somebody who thought about this passage, uh, and I read some of his comments about it. He lived uh, in 347 A.D., so just about 300 years after Christ's uh, death, he was born, and then he lived his ministry, and he was uh, very uh, known for his preaching. And one of the things that he said about this is this, this grieving, this mourning, is a mourning for sin. And a lot of commentators that I read concurred with that. They, they agreed and said this is a mourning for sin. And so you're blessed if you mourn your sin because you realize your need. You realize that you need Jesus. And so therefore you mourn your sin. And, uh, and so that's, that's what he said. In fact, he went on to say that as believers, we shouldn't be mourning in other reasons uh, because, uh, you know, the passage in Thessalonians says uh, that we don't mourn as others do who have no hope. And the trouble is, is that passage doesn't say don't mourn. It just says, don't mourn as those who have no hope. We can mourn as those who have hope. And so you look at this passage and you say, well, is that what he's saying? Is he saying sin, possibly? Not for the reasons that John Chrysostom thought, but um, certainly it could be that. It could be that, that we're mourning for moral reasons because we look at our nation and we see the moral decay in our nation and so we're mourning our nation and we're mourning what's going on and you think, well, yeah, that could be it. Or it could be that we're mourning the nation of Israel, that they're not what they could be and they're, not, they're secular right now instead of religious and spiritual and, and so you think, and that they haven't found Jesus and so you think, well, we can be mourning the nation of Israel that they're not achieving what God had intended for them. It could be, if you look at the context, that he's basing it on what he just said in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so he's, we're mourning the fact that we are poor in spirit, that we are not what God would have us be. And so I looked at commentators that said all these different things. But my conclusion is Jesus doesn't say what the mourning is caused by. He just says what will solve it. And what will solve it is the comfort of God. Now, I think it's really important for us to understand. I mean, think about that context. If you if if what does God comfort everything? He comforts everything in my life. He is the one who is is my comfort. And in fact in uh well, we'll look at this passage here in a minute, but God is the one who is the God of all comfort. He comforts me in everything. There's nothing he doesn't comfort me in. So if God comforts me in everything, wouldn't it make sense that Jesus, when he's talking about mourning, is talking about any kind of mourning? And not just mourning for sin, not just mourning for being poor in spirit, not just mourning our country, not just mourning Israel, but mourning every loss, mourning the loss of our heroes for our nation, mourning those who in your own personal life you have lost over the last few years, mourning, mourning the loss of, of innocence for someone, mourning the loss of a marriage for someone else, and the, the, that, that you find yourself in this state of mourning Jesus is talking to all of us. And the reality is, is those who are mourning the loss of some of our heroes go through the same process that we do. And so I'm going to be speaking to all kinds of mourning today, not just the loss of our heroes, but every other thing. We look at some of the things that we've lost in our country, 
safety and security, you have to have more of that, don't you? Because we don't know who's going to go shoot up a place. And it scares us, and we see that, and we, when we see people in our own country being influenced by Al-Qaeda and ISIS and others because of the Internet, and they get in connection with them, and they become somebody here and, and that's going to carry out the, the uh, plan of somebody else, and you kind of go, wow, we have lost so much as a nation, and we find ourselves in grief and in mourning because of that. And we find ourselves saying, if people would just live righteously if people would just live the right kind of life we see it with our sports heroes that they blow up our team because they they mess up and they do something the cowboys have been notorious for that recently zeke elliott just this last week and getting involved in some altercation in las vegas and you kind of go really and we find ourselves saying if people would just live the right kind of life and we find ourselves mourning those losses because we, we grieve every time we lose something of value to us. You could lose your wedding ring and go through mourning because you can't find it. How much more the more significant areas of our lives. And so how do we get through this? He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so we go back to that and, and think, okay, mourning in every sense, and there's some way that it's blessed. What could make mourning blessed? Knowing that there's a greater purpose for mourning than we could ever imagine is one reason that I, I, can, I can understand that. What I find is, is that I try to control my grief. We try to kind of suck it up, right? We try to just kind of suppress it. And we do it by simple things. We do it by saying, well, I'm just trying to be strong for my family. And that means I've just suppressed a grief for my family's sake. And there's a place for that, not long term. Short term, yes. Long term, you need to deal with grief. Otherwise, it takes you over. It overwhelms your life. So we find ourselves saying that. We find ourselves saying, well, I should be over this by now. There's no time limit on grief. It takes time. We find our other people are trying to control our grief. They'll say, you should be over this by now. It's been long enough. And we find ourselves believing them when we're thinking that ourselves. And so we find all this pressure. And what I've told people whenever they go through grief is you can't control your emotions. If you do, they're going to come back to bite you at some point. And so what you do is you allow your emotions to play out. If you feel like crying, you cry. If you feel like laughing, you laugh. If you feel sorrowful or if you feel happy, if you feel anything in between, that you allow those emotions to just be. Because it's just like you stuck your finger in a light socket and we see the picture of the person with their hair sticking all in every direction. It's like you did that emotionally when you go through a period of grief, when someone dies and you find your emotions just all over the place. They're a mess. Let them play out, and you'll be okay. The people I worry about are the people who stuff the emotions and never deal with them. That's a person that's going to have trouble down the line because God intended for us to mourn. He intended us to live and allow those emotions to play out. 
It's helpful to understand the stages of grief whenever you go through a difficult time. There's five stages of grief. I'm going to just go through them real briefly so that you understand them because it will help you not only in your own life, but if you're helping someone else who's going through grief, you'll want to understand these stages so you're not offended when some of them happen because you certainly could be very offended and cause a split and it's just because they are dealing with something and, and, and you need to let it happen. One is, the first stage is denial. And we isolate. We pull away from other people and we can't believe it's happened. In fact, that's what you'll find yourself saying over and over. I can't, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe I'm living through this. I can't believe I'm, I'm facing this. I can't believe that they passed. And you find yourself in this state of denial and you wake up the next day and it's still the reality and you just, it's just, you just have a hard time believing it. And so it's that idea of disbelief, it's the idea of I can't believe it's happened, it's this idea of, of, of not understanding, you know, you ask the question why and there's not really an answer that you're going to be satisfied with. Oh, there's some answers to the why question, you're just not going to be satisfied with them, especially at that moment. You'll find yourself asking, but you don't really want an answer, you just want the person back. And so it's denial. The, the next phase is anger. You get angry. You're ticked at everything. This is something important for people around somebody going through grief to understand. A person who's not normally angry is all of a sudden angry. And part of the anger, anger is directed toward yourself and everybody's trying to you know, tell you, hey, it's not so bad, you're okay, it wasn't your fault, all that kind of stuff, but you're just accusing yourself, kicking yourself. If I, you know, and it's kind of part of the next phase of bargaining. You, you say, if only I'd done this, if only I'd done that, if only I'd asked this question, if I'd only been there sooner, all those questions which is part of the third phase, but it plays into that second phase where you're uh, uh, just struggling with anger. And that anger starts out, it's inward, but then it gets directed outward to everybody. That doctor messed up here. This you know, person would, didn't do that. This spouse grieved wrongly, said the wrong thing. This child, that whatever. And then that anger ends up toward God. God, if you'd only been here, if you'd only answered my prayers, then this, none of this would have happened. And so we find ourselves in that stage of just anger. And that's normal for grief. So just know if you're angry, that's normal. You don't want to stay there. You want to get through it. And in fact, you, people get stuck at some of these phases. And you can see them. They're still stuck at not believing. They're still stuck at anger. They're still stuck at bargaining. If only, if only, if only. And the reality is, no, it didn't happen. You weren't there. You didn't ask the right question. The doctor did mess up. Whatever happened, you've got to come to terms with that. And then when, when you finally come to that point and you just allow yourself to just grieve the loss and be sad. And then the final stage, the fifth stage, is the step of acceptance. You accept the new normal. This is the new reality. This is the way it's going to have to be. If we resist, resist stages of grief, it'll only prolong the process of healing. One of the people uh, uh, that struggled with Leland's death their whole life was his mom. She could never accept that it happened. And she was so mad at her husband for having him buried in Belgium instead of bringing him home. And she, she never, she got stuck in this stage of anger and it was just there and, and this stage of, of just not accepting this new reality. And, and so I look at that and I realize we've got we've to work through this. We can't get stuck. We can't afford it. It affects every other relationship. It affected her relationship with her husband the rest of their life. 
And so I think about that and I think God wants us to understand his comfort. And so you look at this first phase, the first part of the verse, blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. This passage that I mentioned, God of all comfort, is found in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 7. I'd encourage you to to find those verses, to look them up sometime in 2 Corinthians, very first chapter of 2 Corinthians. Easy to find. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. It's part of who he is. We think of God as a God of love. He's also a God of comfort. It's not something he does. It's something that he is. When Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to send you another comforter, another the word another is another of the same kind, another one just like me, another Jesus, the Holy Spirit in a sense. He's a comforter. He's coming to comfort us. Who comforts us in all our affliction. Every time we mourn, the Spirit of God is there. Every time we mourn, the God of all comfort is there. And he says, so that. Okay, here's the reason so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us, and then we can comfort the next person down the line with that same comfort, with God's comfort. I lost my mom and dad over the last little over a decade. And before that, I wasn't able to help people as much with the loss of their own parents as I am now because I've experienced God's comfort in a way that I'd never experienced before. And so I'm able in a special way to help others. And so when you go through something where you're experiencing a mourning, God is preparing you for that next person that you're going to be able to comfort, that you're going to be able to help with the same comfort you've experienced through God. And you think, the only way that I get comfort through God by God, is through faith. I mean, think about that. I think many times we experience comfort, but it's just self-comfort. It's comfort that we have taught ourselves from the time we were a little baby. Well, we didn't teach it, or our parents taught it to us. They give us a little stuffed animal, and whenever we're struggling, we're hugging that stuffed animal. And then, uh, you know, we, we start out with a pacifier, then we start out with the stuffed animal, then we end up with a dog or a cat or something. Of course, cat, I don't know how comforting they are, but they just walk away. But you get a dog's comforting. Uh, and so you, you have these different things, and you learn this kind of self-comfort. And we can kind of comfort ourselves and just kind of tough it out through life without God. But God wants to comfort us. He's the God of all comfort. And I think many times we're like the kid who who the parent and their mom comes up and says, "Uh, you know, I love you. And they're pushing their mom away. They don't want comfort. They want isolation. They're pushing away. And you realize, wow, they're not receiving comfort. I think we do the same thing with the Lord. We're angry at him. And so we push him away instead of embracing him and drawing him in. And it's a step of faith. And that step of faith has to be, I believe, God, that you're doing something good through this, even though I don't understand it, even though I can't see it. And part of that good is I'm going to be able to comfort others with the comfort with which you've comforted me. In fact, the passage goes on to say, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. 
and salvation. If we are, uh, affli- or if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And we, we go, wow, this incredible comfort from God. And, it, and, and he intends it for us. It can only be had by faith. In fact, that's really what the works of God are, is, is a work of faith that we are trusting him. And in fact, Jesus says this in John chapter 6, 29. He says, this is the work of God. And you think, okay, I'm ready for it. What's the work of God? That you believe in him whom he has sent. That's God's work for us. It's faith. I could live the most righteous life in all the world. I could do everything correctly and try to live rightly. And when I get done at the end of my life, it's all been a Greg work and not a God work. How do I engage God in my daily life is I believe. Every step that I take, whenever I walk up on this stage, I'm praying, God, be with me. Because if you're not with me, nothing of, of significance is going to happen. When we walk to our, our job, uh, or drive to our job, and we walk in the door, we, 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 when we're, do we walk in praying, or do we walk in just kind of, okay, here's the next day? I think we can either, we can have two people, two Christians who live their lives side by side, and one has a spiritual presence about them, and the other does not. They just are Christian in name, but they don't live that way. And it's, the difference is it's a journey of faith, that we live by faith, and our mourning has to be a, a journey of faith as well. And it's hard when we're angry at the very one we're supposed to believe in, right? When the Messiah comes, or when he came, Isaiah 61 said that of the Messiah, the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Messiah was going to bring joy, not mourning. Isaiah 40 says, comfort, comfort my people. And we hear that in Handel's Messiah, that, that idea of comfort coming from Isaiah chapter 40. God is a God of comfort who wants us to be comforted, who, who asks that, that people, uh, that his followers, those who follow after him, those who believe on him would be comforted, that the Messiah came to give us this spirit of, of, of gladness. And I think this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it as a statement of commitment of faith. I will be glad. I'll choose to be glad. I will be glad. I'm not going to allow this despair and mourning to overcome my life, to overwhelm my life, to dominate my life. But God is going to dominate my life. He's going to bring comfort at those times that I'm mourning, that I'm struggling with whatever is going on in my life. That he brings the comfort and it means that I've got to step out in faith. That I've got to choose every day of my life whether I believe in him or I allow the doubts to overwhelm me. That's exactly what we sang about this morning. That we will rejoice in the darkest times of our lives. That we will sing and we'll sing louder and louder because what we believe and not because the loudness is is anything but the faith behind it is. And so when we mourn, we believe. And what do we believe? That God has a purpose in this and part of my purpose is that I'm going to be able to comfort others. 
Part of the purpose is, is that I know, as Romans 8, 28 says, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. He doesn't say all things are good, but they will be worked out for good. That there's a good result coming. I'm also trusting that he knows better than I do and that one day when I stand before him, I'll go, aha. I'll go, I get it. I'll go, you were right. You made the right decision. You made the right choice, God. And then I'll understand, but as 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I know I shall know fully. We'll know fully what his purpose is then. And by faith now, I trust that I will understand then and I will agree then, that I will, I will get it then. The promise here from God is not blessed are those who mourn for they shall comfort themselves. It's a passive, so they will be comforted. It's a promise, they will be comforted. Jesus is promising comfort and he says he's going to be the one that does it. He's going to cause it to come about in our lives. And we, by faith, need to step forward and say, God, I'm in need of your comfort. You're the God of all comfort. You're the one who promises comfort. You're the one in Psalm 23, when I walk through the valley of the shadow, you promise to be with me and to comfort me. The one who is the comforter is going to be with me. The one who is the comforter that was sent by Jesus is living inside of me and residing in me, and I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you may be here today and you're going through some difficulty that's causing a mourning in your life, that's causing a great sadness. I want you to know this morning we have a God who deals with great sadnesses. And he comes gently. He comes comfortingly. comes nurturingly to you. Don't isolate from him. Don't push him away. Let him in. Father, we come to you this morning and we realize that this is a faith issue for us and that we struggle at times with how you do things and we'll shout to you, it's not fair, it's not right. We'll shout loudly why. You don't owe us an answer. You don't always tell us why. And it's a step of faith that we just trust that you know what you're doing, that you're the God of the universe that knows all things. You know what the right thing to do. You know what the good thing to do is. And you know that we will understand one day, you know that you've got to lead us even though we don't understand and even when we're shaking our fist in anger at you. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be doubting, but to be full of faith, to trust you, not to be crying, but to be loving understanding that you are the good God of the universe who knows all and that one day we will understand when we see fully. And Lord, until then, I pray that you would help us to walk by faith this journey of this life in those things that cause the great sadness of, sadnesses of our lives. And I pray that we would just walk with you that we would just experience your presence with us. In those moments, they would become precious to us. And I pray that you would use this after to help others who are struggling with those same things, struggling with faith, their own faith at those moments. 
dealing with anger. Father, I pray for those who are here today who are stuck in one of the stages of grief, that you would help them through that stage, that you would help them come to resolution where they accept a new normal and they're able to accept your reality that you have brought about or allowed to happen in their lives. And it wouldn't be at the cost of their faith, but it would actually strengthen their faith. And they would be able to be comforters that share what you do. You are the God of all comfort, that we would be a people of all comfort who are echoes and reflections of your comfort. Use us, Father, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.